In a world where it seems totally normal to listen to a podcast about the Toronto Argonauts, it's the X's and Argos podcast. Welcome to the X's and Argos post-game reaction podcast brought to you by Funny Bone Broth. My name is Ben Grant, joined as always by JB. What a weird game that was. The Toronto Argonauts victorious 17-16 over the visiting Hamilton Tiger Cats. JB, that was a crazy game. Not a, a good game, but a crazy one. No, I mean, I thought both teams would score more, but... Uh... I think that the Argos largely deserve to win the game, and uh, so I was happy to see that and, and thought that they would. Um, but a very, very odd game. I thought uh, really a game of two halves. I predicted a one-point Argos win with Hamilton coming flying back at the end, but I did not picture it happening the way that it happened. Uh, it was it, it was a, a game where like Toronto could have had easily into the 30s in terms of points. They left so many points just hanging out there. Hamilton maxed out. Like the 16 points Hamilton got was pretty much all they, they deserved to get. But yeah, Toronto just seemed to throw away opportunities. There were so many occasions where there should have been at the very least a field goal, if not a touchdown. And they just, they couldn't cash it in. Let's talk about some of the big moments in the game. So in the first half, I thought there were two things that really stood out to me. Uh, one, I was really concerned about, uh, about Josh Haggerty at free safety. And the other one was, I was really impressed with the offensive lines run blocking. And those were the sort of the two stories of the first half for me. Let's, let's maybe start with those things. So Josh Haggerty was in at free safety this week for Cresden Butler, who's hurt. And there was some concern coming in. We expressed that in our preview because last week we saw a touchdown given up because Haggerty was sort of stationary in the center of the field. And early in the first half, there were a couple of occasions where there were clearly problems, not only on the, the touchdown pass, Hamilton's first touchdown, where it looked like they were, I would have to look back and, and go over the film, but they were either in cover three or cover one. I'm not sure, not having seen the replays or anything yet. But Haggerty was stationary in the middle of the field. He didn't drift towards that seam and he was beat for a touchdown. But there were a few other opportunities that Hamilton missed where they didn't even see that guys going up the seam had basically beaten Haggerty. That first half was was filled with errors on his part. Uh, you know, how, how do they, how do they go about fixing this, JB? Yeah. I, I mean, you know, I don't want to bang on the rookie, but, but we both felt like it was, it was too much. He, he's not ready to be a starting safety, um, in the CFL. And, uh, you know, that was apparent. Um, I, it's a good question in terms of Butler. I, I, I don't know if you can continue to go. I think you have to. Like if, if Butler is going to be out for a significant amount of time, I think you're going to have to go make a trade. I don't I don't think that you can you can have a player who's still learning the game at a professional level um, out there that much because he gave up the first touchdown. He almost gave up a touchdown at the end of the half. You, you just can't. You know, I mean that's a major problem. You you cannot have a player out there who is you know leaking oil. Um, so uh, hopefully Butler's back and Haggerty can continue to learn. But if Butler's out for a significant time, I think they need to look at a trade 
maybe to Winnipeg. I hear they have a free safety who might be available. <laughs> Don't even start on Alden Darby trade Bring talk. Bring him home. <laughs> I, I I would love that, but that's I'm not even we we I can't even talk about that. That's not a subject I want to get into. So with Hegarty, I counted from the press box. I saw four different occasions where there were seams that he didn't get to, where he didn't move over. They only cashed in on one of those. Um, two, it looked like the quarterback didn't see, and then one they just were unable to connect on. Now, a, a few things on Haggerty. So first of all, to put some context here, remember that Haggerty's not only a rookie, he's a sixth-round pick. So it's not someone that you were even thinking about for this year. We talked before about how the Argos you know, knew that there was a possibility of him going back to school, et cetera, et cetera. And to put it into more context, their first round draft pick from 2020 and their first round draft pick and first overall pick from 2019 are still working their way into the lineup. They're still just trying to get in there, you know, finally dressing and looking at some playing time. And so to expect a rookie who was drafted in the sixth round this year to come in and start and and not make mistakes is you know it's it's just not going to happen. I mean, um, no, he would oh, sorry, it'd be fine on. if he was on offense, but on defense we play with live ammo. <laughs> yeah, it is. It, it's true though. Like you know, you you um, you know make fun of offensive players quite a lot as I make fun of defensive players and the whole point of defense. But but you're right though. It, like the the cost, you know, bringing a rookie in on offense generally, unless we're talking about quarterback it generally isn't isn't game changing it doesn't cost you anything you can go away from them you can find ways to hide that on defense it's much harder to do and and we saw that the argos were trying to hide haggerty early in the game there was a lot of cover 3 they played some rolling 2 and they were just trying to sort of you know keep him out of of having to make those those crucial decisions where he's back there playing free and eventually hamilton sort of found a way to you know, have have this catch up to him. Now, the good news is that he was significantly better in the second half. The second sack from Eli Harold was Josh Haggerty. On that play, Dan Evans had another seam. It was cover three. He was looking there. He expected it to be open like it had been in the first half. But Haggerty came flying over, shut it down. Evans had to keep the ball. He ended up getting sacked by, by Eli Harold. So there was some significant improvement from Haggerty from first half to second half but it, it's it's got to continue or there has to be a move like you said because it's just it's it's so much to expect let's talk about the the run blocking from Nicastro and Allen and really the game that Nicastro played I it wasn't perfect but seeing as he's stepping into center, I was really pleased with what I saw from him today. Again, if you're just sort of grading, you know, play by play, I don't think this game is going to end up standing out as like, you know, wow, what a performance. But for his first full game at center, you could see why the Argos drafted him in the first round, why they sort of projected him as being the center of the future, because I thought he played great. Yeah, he he was... You know, I, I've you know hats off to him. I know you know we were on him a little bit from Labor Day. Uh, I thought he looked fantastic at center. You know, for for a guy who hasn't had a lot of time at center, um, he looked very capable. And and really, that's all you're asking for from your line. So I was I was really impressed. I thought he he run he run blocked uh, really well. I thought he picked up picked up blitzes. You know, I thought it was a really solid game from him. 
yeah, I didn't really see many mental mistakes. And his run blocking was, I, I think when I go to grade this, I think it's going to end up being the best on the team. Allen did pretty well with run blocking too. But Nicastro on those first few plays where John White really got rolling in that first quarter, a lot of that was Nicastro. Um, he, on a bunch of those plays, it started with a double team and then he'd climb up to the linebacker and his timing was great. He dominated the blocks and, and the holes were were massive for John White to run through. And like I said, most of that is is a credit to Nicastro. So that was a really nice thing to see, especially from a player that, you know, we've, we've sort of given him a hard time because he's he hasn't had great games to this point. But not only was it great to see him have a really good game, but at center as well. You know, maybe that means when Philip Blake comes back, maybe we'll see Nicastro stay at center and Blake can finally play the position he's best at, at left guard. So we'll see when we got to see how, how Philip Blake's health is. In terms of uh, one of the big plays of the first half, that first touchdown was actually set up on a penalty that DJ Foster wheel. I know you you texted me right away as soon as that play happened. And you're like, you know, that's I'm counting that as a, a as a reception to DJ Foster. Yeah, that was, was a, that was a pretty a big play. It was it was a really nice play call, I thought. And it was something that Coach Jim, when he played off of last week, we've seen Foster run that flat, the flat route and those swing routes so many times. And then to have him turn it upfield into that wheel, caught the defender off guard. He was 100% interfered with. Uh, and that, you know, was a good challenge, obviously. And that put the ball at the one and set up that touchdown. But, um, you know, Foster's game was fantastic today. Yeah, he. I, I. I had hoped that he would be a bigger part. Uh, he certainly was. Um, you know, out of the backfield, the two back set worked really well. Um, I'd love to see out of that two back set him getting some more running plays. But uh, you know, I thought I thought that you know that Foster again was a game changer, and uh, you know the, the they win when they go to him. So I I, I want to see him keep being a central part of the offense. It was interesting that he didn't really get many carries in the first half. He did in oh. the second half. He got a few, but that was when they were sort of keying on run because the Argos were in their sort of, you know, time-killing four-minute offense. And so everyone was keying on the run game, and that's when Foster got the majority of his his carries. And interestingly enough, that, that touchdown run, which, you know, really did look like a touchdown run, technically counts as a touchdown pass for Nick Arbuckle because it was sort of a sort of a shovel. Um, although really uh, headsy play and just a terrific coordination from Arbuckle, the timing wasn't quite right on that play. And Arbuckle never even caught the ball. That snap comes high and Foster is going flying by him on that. He basically volleys it to Foster and then Foster does the rest. And yeah. it was such, a, such an amazing piece of work. It, 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 a couple of years ago, I can't remember who really kind of started it, but basically with jets becoming more popular, like jet sweeps, somebody, you know, teams discovered that, uh, you know, like one of the tricky parts about the jet sweep is the handoff. You got this guy coming screaming by and, you know, if you hand it off poorly, you get a fumble. And somebody realized that if you just kind of toss the ball in the air, if he fumbles it, it's a, it's a drop pass. So it's kind of a loophole in football um, that they haven't closed. And, you know, it, it doesn't really affect stats, but it is an interesting uh, strategic move by the offense because it, it basically makes it no worry. Like, 
if the jet doesn't work, then, you know, just reset. You don't have to worry about a fumble. It it does affect prop bets because that was a 40-yard touchdown pass yes. for Arbuckle. So I'm sure there were a few people who had the under on Arbuckle's passing yards. That play made the difference. And they were probably like, ah, you know, when, when that 40-yard touchdown run turned into a 40-yard touchdown pass. I feel like maybe they, the Patriots were the first team to discover that, but I might be wrong. I can imagine that you would definitely think that. Um, I actually, I actually do think that is the case. I think the first time I ever saw that was was the Patriots doing that, and then everyone, you know, picked it up and they realized, like, yeah, that that makes total sense. It was interesting to note that after the game, Coach Dinwiddie said that that play was actually installed for last week. They were planning on running that play last week, and they just never got the right opportunity to. And so it was one of those, it wasn't one that they had, you know, put in this week trying to show Hamilton something they hadn't seen yet. It was just left over that they, you know, hadn't had a, a chance to use. And I, I thought with that, the motion that they had going on there was just a really nicely designed play. Like if you're looking for ways to get Foster out on the outside, you know, what a, what a great play design that was. The other interesting thing that stood out to me in the first half and then became sort of a thing in the second half was the use of Chandler Worthy. So in the first half, there was a corner route that would have gone for a touchdown had Arbuckle not been under tremendous pressure. There were two free rushers that came through. Worthy was running a corner. He was in man coverage. His defender got lost and Worthy was all alone. But Either I don't know if the I don't know how much the pressure affected the throw, but Arbuckle was nowhere near completing it, and I think it was I actually think it was more that Arbuckle thought he was going to cut that a bit fatter, a bit more like an out than a than a corner, and Worthy cut it really skinny, and so the ball ended up being nowhere close, and that could have been a, a huge difference if they connect on that. If Arbuckle just even has a second to plan his feet, that's that's an easy touchdown pass, and suddenly it's it's. 21 nothing at that point. So that, that could have been a, a huge play. And then in the second half, Chandler Worthy on that post, JB, it went off his fingertips. And you think about all the things that have to go right and wrong on that play. You have a quarterback under a tremendous amount of pressure throwing off his back foot about 60 yards downfield to this guy that runs like a 4-3 and it goes off his fingertips. And that would have been a touchdown too. What did you see on that play? Yeah, I mean, that was really frustrating because finally Arbuckle opens up on a deep pass, which we've been sort of calling for. And Worthy, you know, on, on when you watch the replay, you know, he ran the first 10 yards at 75% because he clearly felt like this was just a route, that he wasn't getting the ball and then realized he was going to get the ball. And he's fast, but, you know, those extra two yards cost them a touchdown and an easy win. I mean, it, it could have been a game-losing mistake by Worthy, which, you know, for a guy who who is not a regular starter, uh, he just, you know, he can't be out there running routes at, at not 100% because you don't think you're going to get the ball. Um, you know, you you, you got you to make that catch. That That's on Worthy. He, he blew that play because he didn't run full out I don't know whether he didn't respect Arbuckle's arm or he just felt he wasn't going to get the ball. But, you know, I was I was really disappointed in that. That's that's no good. Now, something I learned in the press conference about that play was that they had never had a chance to actually run it. So that was installed this week. 
But because they only had two practices this week and both were basically walkthroughs and, you know, basically an hour long walkthrough, they didn't have a chance to run everything that they installed. And so that was a play that they actually never had repped. And to be fair to Worthy, there are sometimes, you know, there, there's so many different ways to run every route. And sometimes change of direction is what you're thinking about. And if you've never run it before, you never have the chance to sort of say, you know, the quarterback come and say, hey, how come you weren't where I thought you'd be? And the receiver saying, well, I was, you know, I was kind of going into it looking like I'm stock blocking and then I'm going to take off on the post. And they never had a chance to have any of these conversations. And no, so you're I right. Am I mean, it, the timing, the timing comes from practice. That's that's a fair defense. Um but it is making excuses, but I, I think oh, it's no, a pretty fair. good that's excuse fair. this week. And, you know, you also consider how many moving parts there have been for Arbuckle. He's had so many different receivers in and out. You know, Ricky Collins Jr. was out. Braverman is out now. Collins Jr.'s back in. He's got Joan Breskison out, who he worked with, you know, all camp in the first couple of games. And it's just a, a constant revolving door at receiver. And, you know, for him to then try and run plays that they haven't even repped and he doesn't, he's trying to think of, you know, who, wait a second, who's, who's where? And there's so few guys with, with like that kind of speed. Well, there's no one, there's no one else with that kind of speed. Just the fact that he was that close is pretty amazing. But man, that would have been a big game changing play if they'd been I mean, able if to he connect. Can, if he can get regular reps and those two can get their timing down, that, that could definitely change the Argos uh, offense. For the positive i really liked him out there uh, and you know chandler worthy as a receiver not necessarily for every down just like he was used today he was used you know on on i i don't know what the snap count was but i, I would guess he was probably used on about a, a quarter of the snaps but that's fine to have that deep threat in there is excellent i also really liked having him in there on punt returns because to me it really changed the way that they were kicking the ball you know we saw penalties for kicking the ball out of bounds we saw them really change up because they you know the first few were boomed and after the first two punts he he brought both of them back for about 15 yards and there was there was a real threat of him taking them further and i know there was a you know a, a punter injury and it you know changed everything else after that but strategically it was messing with hamilton because they didn't want to risk especially in what became a close game Chandler Worthy breaking one wide open because he has the speed to do it. And we've been asking for that. I know we've been asking for Trey Williams, but you know, Chandler Worthy is a threat and you could see it on the sideline. Every time there was a punt, everybody on the sideline is on the Argo sideline is right up to the line because they want to see it because they've seen him in practice. They know what his speed is like and they wanted to see him take one to the house, but uh, just didn't happen today. I, I have one uh, just a digression if we could for a moment. From a from a kicking point of view, I'm always defending kickers. I thought Hamilton, uh, when they were midfield and it was third and short, and they had their rookie place kicker punting because the punter was out, and they went for the punt instead of going for it. I just thought that was such a classic example of a coach uh, underestimating the skill of his punter and figuring that, well, I'm sure this kid can also punt it down into the corner um you know and then of course the the place kicker kicked it out of bounds because like directionally punt punting into the corner is really hard um so i thought that that was a classic example of you know a head coach just assuming that you know the video guy or the dj or the you know special teams coach could just go out there and kick this punt as well you know i, I thought that was 
uh, great for Toronto, but a, a terrible decision by Hamilton. I just thought in general, there are some strange third down decisions. How about that third down near the end of the first half where it's third in inches? There's 45 seconds left on the clock. The Argos are at their own 45. You only need like another 15 yards to attempt a Boris Beattie field goal at the end of the half. Third in inches. And they they punted the ball away. And that almost turned into points for Hamilton coming the other way. I, I would, I would, that It blew my mind that Toronto did not go for it on third and inches, no matter where you are. Where, where, unless you're, you know, like on your 30 and in, you know, your own 30, like you, you, if you're in the middle of the field, you have to go third and inches. Like in the CFL, you, you can't stop third and inches. Well, although they well, did actually the in the first quarter. But I know, we lost like a yard on that it's play too. It's almost but. impossible to stop it. In the CFL. I, I, I agree. I mean, it, it makes no sense in Canadian football. I get it in American football, but in Canadian football, where they have to stay a yard off, that's that's free money. Like, you have to be an absolute, you know, red-black tire fire to to not believe your crew can get a first down. I, I thought, I thought it's every, I agree with you, every single time they don't go third in inches is a mistake. And I'll go further than you. I don't care where you are on the field. You can be on your own one yard line, although I guess you wouldn't be on third and inches there. But, you know, you could be on your own 11 yard line and I would go for it on third and inches. I just yes. think it's an, it's automatic. Yeah, agreed. Uh, sacks were pretty good. Defensive line contributing some sacks. I didn't notice anything different schematically. Uh, nothing stood out to me. It just looked to me like there were a couple that were that I would attribute to coverage, like I mentioned with the the Josh Haggerty coverage on that Eli Harold sack. But I, I thought the defensive line did a great job of beating their guys and just getting to the quarterback. They they played out of their minds today. Yeah, I thought you know Eli Harold, uh, who we we loved when they signed him, um, is turning into exactly who we thought he could be. You know, just an absolute stud. Um, I'd have to sit and watch it again. I mean, it, it, it feels sometimes that the, the Argos are way too much outside rush, not nearly enough inside rush, not nearly enough loops and twists. Because um, that outside stuff, you know, they're just being directed past the quarterback over and over and over again. Um, but, but Harold looked good, and my guy Oakman, who has been grinding in the, uh, in the trenches, is now starting to put up some stats. And he's getting that inside pressure, which is something they definitely need more of, um, you know, to 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 get those sacks. And I thought that uh, I thought he had a fantastic game. In fact, I have come up with a nickname for him. What is it? I will now refer to him as the CN Power. <laughs> that's not bad. Yeah, that's that's not my bad. man, CN Power. The CN get Power. The done. I mean, all he's right. been building to it. He's been great all season inside. And now he's starting to put in some pass rush stuff into it. Uh, I, I think he's going to be an all-star by the end of the year. They were moving him around quite a lot today. Like he was on the outside, he was in the inside. I, I thought that was kind of interesting. And that was, you know, Charleston Hughes was a late scratch today. Uh, right before the game, they decided he couldn't go. And so he was scratched. And I thought the line did a really nice job. I was getting a little nervous, uh, you know, pregame about an hour before the game. Uh, you know, coach had every defensive lineman out there and they're sort of, you know, repping some things and like going over what looked like last minute game planning. You know, I think just based on that, I would guess they thought Charleston was going to be able to go. 
but he didn't. And I thought the line stepped up really nicely, but they also adjusted to some of the movement that was put in. And there you had Feeney, who was making the start at end, and he had so many snaps. And, you know, he... I wouldn't say he had as good a game as as Harold or as Oakman, but he played well. And the whole line in general, I thought that are just a really nice job of of staying on that, you know, the Hamilton quarterbacks. Yeah, and 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 shadow Feeney for his injury freezing the Hamilton kicker at the end of the game. You know, his his injury at the at the end of the game might be the the TSN turning point. It's true because Hamilton comes out to kick that game tying extra point. And Feeney's on the field for quite a long time. And I, I, you know, this isn't intentional, obviously. Feeney was banged up a lot of that game and he was just trying to grind it out and just, you know, take advantage of this opportunity that he's been given. But, you know, he was really hurting. And, but you're right, though, that injury was well timed in that, you know, Hamilton's kicker is now standing out there for about five minutes thinking about this game tying extra point. And uh, of course, it uh, it misses. So uh, that was the difference. But uh, yeah, I don't think I don't think it's something that you credit Feeney for. But uh, you know, had he not been you know tough enough to try and get back in there like six different times, he's not out there on the field. That doesn't happen, and everything changes. I guess butterfly effect, right? There were some horrible missed tackles in this game, and I don't like to criticize the defense for anything because they're clearly the best part of the Toronto Argonauts. And again today, they had an outstanding day. But man, there were a lot of missed tackles. What's going on out there? Like, what do you see when you're seeing all these missed tackles? Why are they missing so many? Yeah, I mean, one of the issues that they've had since the beginning of the season is in the secondary, there are too many, um, you know, whatever you want to call it, a bullseye. Uh, you know, a body check style, but basically you're just trying to light the guy up with your shoulder and you're not wrapping up. And I know that that's part of the Seahawk tackling, you know, technique that occasionally you have those Cam Chancellor bullseye shots. But, the, the, you know, I think the reality is, is that there's a time and place for them and they can't be a consistent thing. You need, you know, it's not to sound like the football coach, but you know, you, you got to wrap up. You got, I mean, that's why that's, that's the technique. You, you just have to make sure that you're, you're getting this play stopped and that you're not just trying to get some kind of highlight film play. And, you know, uh, as much, you know, as, as many props as I gave Chris Edwards, and I, I still think, you know, he had a great sack and still a great player, but you know, that um, third down at the end of the game where they're playing sticks and, uh, you know, they catch the ball at five yards and he, he wraps up. The game's over. And instead he goes in for this bullseye tackle and it just doesn't work. Like guys are looking for it. They're ready for it. And, and you basically just spin him off away from the other tacklers and he converts the first down. And, you know, that's just, you know, unacceptable. You know, it really is. You You have got to make that tackle. So I think... I think that there seems to be too much desire to to highlight film blow up dudes when just a perfectly boring wrap up tackle is what's required. Let's transition to looking at some stats here and I want to tie in your last point to some of these stats. So after 3 quarters, Hamilton only had 2 rushing attempts for a total of 7 yards, but then in the fourth quarter 
They put up about 60 yards rushing, a lot of that on Dane Evans with his three carries for 32 yards. And of those 32 yards, about 31 and a half of them came after contact. It felt like he was running like, you know, Christian Okoye uh, as a throwback name where guys were just like bouncing off him. And it's it's Dane Evans. Like, I know he's a good runner and he's a, a good athlete, but he was bowling everybody over because nobody was wrapping up. They were going for that big hit on the quarterback. And it was in situations where it was, you know, second and 20 and he runs for 19 yards. It was just uh, so frustrating to to watch. Yeah, and like, uh, I don't mind that, you know, the bullseye tackle. I think like it works great on hooks where you're like, OK, if you're going to catch this hook, you know, or a screen that I've read correctly, I'm going to make you regret it. But other than those two times, you have to wrap. You have to keep your head up and just make a, a textbook tackle. So it's just not a weapon to be used as a normal tackle. You know, the, there's a time and place for it to punish guys. But, uh, you know, with the quarterback, you, you got to wrap up. You can't, you can't in free space try and light somebody up because they're you know he's a good athlete and he made guys miss and just situationally be aware second and 20 right just all you got to do is wrap them up not not to get a highlight look at some of the other stats that that stand out this wasn't one of nick arbuckle's best games so he ended up going 23 for 37 at 62 percent completion 236 yards one touchdown Two interceptions. One of them wasn't his fault. One of them was a disaster. Oh, God. I, I mean, if I have a an issue with Arbuckle, I think that he, you know, he seems like a good leader and he's got a pretty good arm and he seems pretty good at, at, at reading defenses. But there's a, a swagger to him. Uh, it, it really reminds me of Aaron Rodgers. And he, he he threw that off balance and tried to just kind of flick his wrist. And that's just not who he is. Like, he, he you know, he, first of all, he doesn't have the, the history to back up that kind of casualness. And he doesn't have the arm strength to do it. And, like, you know, I, I know I used unacceptable but before, but that pass is absolutely unacceptable from a, few a starting things. quarterback you you just you he nearly cost his team the game for some kind of like you know it looked like he was at practice and you just like having a laugh he was trying to throw the ball out of bounds like just talking to him after the game he he said he was you know he was on his back foot obviously but he was trying to get the ball out of bounds but even that's the wrong play at that point you you take the sack because that keeps the clock running and you burn another 20 seconds off the clock that's not a, a pass you want to even throw out of bounds and and then of course he you couldn't even quite get it out of bounds it gets picked off and like you said that that was game altering and if not for that missed extra point that is you know that that's potentially the ball game so yeah that was that was brutal yeah i think in in a lot of ways he is a rookie right and and so that's you know that's that's a pass that rookies make and unfortunately that is now the second time i've seen him do that terrible Aaron Rodgers body language pass that ended in interception. So, you know, that better be it. 
Other stats that stand out, John White had a fantastic game, 12 carries for 84 yards. He's averaging seven yards and even seven yards a carry on the night, which is fantastic. Receiving was interesting. It was really spread around. So like the leading receiver in terms of receptions was Ricky Collins Jr. with eight receptions on nine targets, but he didn't really have the yardage there, 60 yards total on eight receptions, which is you know, seven and a half yards a reception, not great. Foster, three receptions for 63. So he led the team in in yardage. The good thing from it is that it was really spread around. He, Arbuckle connected with nine different receivers. And so, or I guess eight different receivers, because I don't think Dejan Brissett ended up with a catch. I just want to double check this here. No, he had, Dejan Brissett had six targets and no catches. Uh, What happened with him today? Arbuckle seemed intent on getting him killed. Uh, there were a couple plays, that one where he got nearly bent in half just when Toronto was in their own end. And, you know. Yeah, um, uh, w- yeah, Juan Blanco, man, full credit to him. I, ha- I had not been giving him, him enough respect. I th- his, his blitz pickups are fantastic, even for a guy who's not huge. I thought he ran hard. I thought he absolutely set the tone for the game, that the Argos were there to win that game. I thought his first quarter... Um, c- was the reason for the win. Um, so, you know, a full credit to him. I think he has earned his place as the primary running back. Um, Brissett, you know, he, he's got to catch that ball in the end zone. Um, I, I do worry both in that end zone catch and the catch he got cut in half that he might be getting into that habit of jumping to catch the ball that you see young receivers sometimes get in the habit of of jumping for balls that they don't need to jump for yeah receivers tend to do this the the rationale behind it in their minds and it's not the correct play no matter what the rationale is but the rationale is that they believe they're about to take contact and they feel like jumping will actually protect them but in fact it sort of does the opposite and in the case where that pass where not the end zone one but where Brissette got cut in half the defender wasn't actually that close to him. So he jumps for a ball he doesn't need to jump for. He actually does sort of secure it. And then he lands right as the hit is coming. So actually jumping made it way worse. And so he's a little bit at fault on that. It, it was, the ball was a little high, but not the kind of ball that you need to jump for. And you definitely should not be jumping for that football in that scenario. No, I, I, you know, it, it looked like a rookie game. I think he, I think he is still a good player and he gets in position to make catches but you know he's he's a rookie and and this is professional football so it's not you know he he has you know things to learn let's uh, go over offensive and defensive players of the game who was your offensive player of the game jb uh juan blanco i thought he i thought that he you know, like I say, I thought that he ran hard. I thought that he converted some huge first downs on those drives. Um, I thought his blitz pickups were, you know, courageous. Um, I thought he was the heartbeat of the team. I thought he went out there and demanded toughness of the team and and basically, like, stared down Hamilton's defensive line. You know, I, for me, he was, he was hands down uh, the best player in the first half. And <laughs> the first half is where they won the game. For me, I'm going to go with Peter Nicastro. Lyman never get any love. Lyman never get offensive player of the game. They, you know, they they never get talked about. They're not on the billboards. He played a really good game today. 
And he may change the direction of the team based on his play today, because like I said, maybe that means Philip Blake can get back to guard. I thought, you know, given all the pressure that was on him, he didn't play that well, you know, last week, he's been sort of spotty on and off throughout the season so far. He delivered a really nice game today. And for all that was put on him, I thought that deserved offensive player of the game. And speaking of rookies, you know, the fact that he's able to do that means that they have got themselves a great pick. Yeah. Let's move on to defensive player of the game. There were a a couple directions we could go here, I guess. Where did you uh, go for a defensive player of the game? CN Power. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, you know, I thought Oakman that, you know, that they, they, the Argos don't get a lot of inside pressure, uh, which I think is has been a bit of a flaw of their defensive line. Because if you only come from the outside over and over again, it's relatively easy to scheme for that. Um, I thought he, I, I think he's great. I think he's going to be an all-star. I think he's been everything they could have hoped for when they signed him. Uh, I thought he dominated today. And, uh, you know, puts, and I think he's only going to become more confident um, and more of a weapon. Uh, and if they move him outside a little too, you know, I think it's really exciting. I thought, I thought he played a hell of a game. For defensive player, I'm going to go with Enoch Mwamba, who again had like, I guess it wasn't that quiet a game. You know, he, he did uh, bring in that interception on that, uh, gorgeous, that really nice gorgeous that, drop. Oh, it was beautiful. They were running this sort of Tampa 2 on that play. And he's not that's not really his thing, which is probably what caught them by surprise. Yeah, I don't think I don't think Dan Evans even dreamed that Enoch Mwamba would be waiting back there. But yeah, they they sort of rolled into a two. Enoch dropped and he was just waiting right there for the ball. But the reason that I thought his play was outstanding today, and of course it didn't come anywhere near to what he had last week in terms of tackles, but he was given so much ground to cover in the passing game uh, early on. They did so much deep, deep cover three. They were just uh, dropping everyone way back there, not letting anything over the top. They wanted Hamilton to have to put drives together, but that left the linebackers with a ton of ground to cover in the middle. And he did a really nice job in that first half, just he crushed, roaming all over the place. Crushed Acres. Oh yeah. I mean, was... full credit. He held onto the ball, but oh my god. Somehow, yeah, that was an amazing hit. But yeah, and he you know was... what? I, I thought Cam Judge had his best game. He missed. He missed an interception. That was the oh, only thing god, I was upset on with hands. Judge. It just went right through such his hands. Perfect. Such perfect technique like i i love the scheme of it they where you know they 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 drop the the db and he comes out from from backer and you know basically suckered them into that throw and his positioning was perfect and you know that's why guys end up on the defensive side of the ball Let's go to best play and worst play which one do you want to start with here i, I don't know well, usually start best with play. best play i mean play. you know i mean we did win. A win's a win, as I said, and like, I, I will not, uh, I will not knock a win against Hamilton. So let's start then with best play. What do you have for best play? Um, I thought the DJ Foster touchdown. You know, we've seen that before, but again, uh, his finish, his drive, the, the crowd fed off it, the team fed off it. That sort of determination that I'm getting in the end zone. I, thought, I don't think there was any I other was, candidate I thought that for was best play. A huge, I thought that was a huge, a huge play for for the team. 
Yeah, that's it's the only choice for best play, and I'm going to go with the same one. There just wasn't, there weren't that many other options. Like the other ones would have no, been well, they, like, they, I mean, penalties. They did, they almost did nothing in the second half. Yeah, three points in the second half. They couldn't move the ball, but that was yeah that that Foster touchdown uh, reception, I guess, was was fantastic. Now there were a lot of candidates for worst play. JB, where did you go with <laughs> this were, one for for a game we won? Um, Wow. It's a good thing we won because it, a loss after a performance like that, if Hamilton had somehow found a way to win that at the end, that that just would have been soul crushing. And we would have just spent the, the next week well, you know, I not mean, wanting I think, to. I think the worst play, again, is the obvious one, which is the Arbuckle interception. Um, I, like, I'm sure everybody on the sideline was blown away at how casual and how terrible it was considering how much work had gone into holding on to this lead. And basically all we need to do now is kind of finish this thing off. Um, it, it was really just terrible in every way, terrible technique, terrible mentally, terrible emotionally, spiritually, uh, <laughs> in every way on every level of existence. For worse play, this didn't impact the game at all. But it just, to me, was an inexcusable moment. For me, I'm going to go with that quarterback sneak that lost a yard. (laughs) I've never seen that in my life in Canadian football. I've seen some weird things on quarterback sneaks. I've seen a quarterback (laughs) run helmet first into a goalpost. I've seen it all. But I've never seen a quarterback lose a yard where there wasn't like a fumble or anything like that on a quarterback sneak. That, That got me so angry. And then suddenly we're facing a third and, and two, which they were able to convert on a quarterback sneak. But then that made me even that much more frustrated when they didn't go for it on third and inches near the end of the half. But I think it was that quarterback sneak. That was why. Because I think Coach Dinwiddie was reflecting back to when they lost a yard on a but quarterback sneak. But that was sneak. such, I mean, it just it was such a poorly run sneak. I mean, you just, <laughs> you just you're not a running back. <laughs> what are you doing? Well, he likes to go around the outside because he's looking for a big play. And there are a lot of a lot of the CFL quarterbacks, especially second string quarterbacks who are runners that come in to make those quarterback sneak plays. You see that, you know, quite a lot across the league where they bring in the the, the other guy to, yeah, to sneak I, the ball. It, it reminded me of the bad old days. But, you know, in truth, that wasn't the worst idea the Argos ever had having a, a, a QB sneak guy. No, I actually, you know, I, I do like that. And I, I like how, you know, BC uses that. And, you know, there's actually, I would say half the teams in the league have the second quarterback who happens to be a better runner than the first guy just come in to, not only because they're a better runner, but then it avoids you having your starting quarterback take another hit. But yeah, Arbuckle looking to take the edge on these quarterback sneaks. I think sometimes you just got to, you know, go forward, follow Nicastro and Bladek, find your yard and then... Uh, and then live to play another play. But yeah, that was my worst play. All right, areas to improve, JB. Three stood out to me. Execution. And I think that's going to come with more practice time. This is going to be a normal week this week. There's an off day tomorrow. They're also getting an off day on Sunday, I believe. And then they're back to practice, you know, Monday through Thursday and then and then flying it to Regina. But execution has to improve this week. Tackling has to improve. And contested catches, would be the third thing that has to improve yeah i mean mine, mine are similar i, I you know I, 
again, I, I, I wouldn't overreact. I thought for the most part, the Argos played a very good game. And if Brissett catches that ball and then they don't toss it away at the end, it's probably, you know, 30-17 or 30-13. Um, yeah, I think that they need to, they definitely need to work on contested catches. I think that's a, uh, a, you know, when you're playing good teams, you're going to have contested catches. So you, you need to get that percentage up, especially for the younger guys. Um, I'd like to see uh, them work on throwing the ball to the left-hand side of the field because I, I, it still seems to be an issue in terms of accuracy and arm strength. So, I've, you know, I'd, I'd like to see a few more plays to the left side. Um, and I'd like to see, yeah, I know we, we disagree, but, you know, free Trey Williams. <laughs> I, I want, I'm, I'm fine to, with that, too. It's not like I disagree I with want, that. I but... want to see what he can do. And uh, I don't think that sacrificing one position for one game to give him a look is the end of the world. But, you know, easy for me to say sitting here. I don't disagree with that. I just, I, I quite like having Chandler Worthy out there on offense. And yeah, so if you're going to have I mean, him that's there... obviously why he's over, you know, starting over top is, you know, he's a better receiver. Well, that will just about do it for us on this episode of the X's and Argos podcast. For JB, my name is Ben Grant saying so long and may all your pre-snap reads be good ones. I'll see you. Go, Toronto Argos, go, go, go. Pull together, fight the